I talked last week about how money is a spiritual problem. Jesus tells us it competes for our worship, that it competes for our hearts, that it competes even to define our sense of worth, our sense of who we are. There's no question that Jesus saw money as a massive spiritual problem. But addressing money as a spiritual problem can seem like challenging gravity. It just feels to many of us simply like the way things are and something that's beyond question and almost pointless to challenge. And yet Jesus saw money as something that has to be challenged because it draws us away from God. Now I confess I do not like preaching about money, partly because it usually provokes a reaction. The rudest letter I have ever received was after a sermon on giving. It wasn't quite smoking as though it was a Christian equivalent of a Harry Potter howler, but it was it denounced me in 10 typewritten pages. It was anonymous and it had a surprising amount of capital letters and it was anonymous. Now that might be partly why we haven't addressed it in three years or so. I am not keen on unnecessary conflict. If you feel at the end of this sermon you need to send me a letter, our address is 5763 Brookvale Road. But in being reluctant to address it, I recognise there's also a sense in which I am letting you down. For if Jesus sees money as a massive spiritual problem, I should not be hesitant to teach about it. Otherwise, I'm going to make it harder for all of us to live as God requires. Now, if I really don't like preaching about money at any time, especially not right now, I know what's happened to our gas bill, so I'm guessing I've got a pretty good idea what's happening to yours. These are hard times, and speaking on this right now could well seem tone-deaf to you. But that doesn't make what Jesus taught any less relevant. It might make it harder to hear, but it doesn't make it less relevant. Right now, just as all of our costs have gone up at home, so all of our costs have risen as a church. And we want to honour the staff that we pay locally by being able to give them a pay rise that's realistic. Trust me, none of them holiday in the Bahamas. None of them are on high salaries. And even more than this, we want to honour the Lord by stepping out in new ways this season with the campus mission that's just started, open house to start after half term. So we have to address this as uncomfortable and challenging as it is for all of us. Offering a living sacrifice to God that's both holy and pleasing to him requires us to do so. So yes, these are challenging truths. Yes, these are difficult things to talk about, especially right now, but that doesn't mean that they're not necessary and relevant ones. First main point, biblical giving is about honour and trust. It's about honour and trust. The Old Testament law required tithes and encouraged free will offerings. Tithes were given as a recognition that everything we have comes from God. 
whether the land we're given, whether the gifts and strength with which we can work, whether the resources we use to make things or, and to make things that make things, everything in the end comes from God. As David prayed in 1 Chronicles 29, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power, the glory, the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. All things come from you. And of your own do we give you. Tithes were given to honour God for everything that he has given and for all that he has done. Even the land itself, the Bible teaches, wasn't given to Israel in perpetuity. They were, if you like, leaseholders, not freeholders. And the tithe was what was due to the one who had given them everything. As Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18 has it, you may say to yourself, <clears throat> my power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors. So tithes were given to honour God. A tithe is a tenth. A tenth of everything produced by Israel was to be given to honour God and to support both the temple and the work of the priests and Levites. Alone of the tribes, the priests and Levites had no inheritance in the land. According to Deuteronomy 10.9, the Lord himself was to be their inheritance. The tithe was given to honour the Lord and to celebrate all that he had given them. Sorry, Ben. Free will offerings were precisely that. They were brought under no compulsion whatsoever. Sometimes they were given when people's, uh, God's people felt moved to contribute, as when the tabernacle was being constructed. Often they were simply an offering brought to say thank you for when somebody had seen God's presence and God's power at work. Now, to enable these gifts in the temple, there were lots and lots of secure chests. Into these chests, worshippers gave both their tithes and their offerings. Now, that's what it seems that Jesus has come to watch, people bringing their free will offerings. Now, maybe some are making huge play of their gifts because they're not obligated to make these offerings. They're choosing to throw in large amounts. It's a bit like Matthew 6, 12, 2, where, uh, where Jesus talks about people announcing their free will giving to the needy with trumpets. Maybe that's what's going on. Jesus isn't just watching, but discerning the intentions of the givers. No one provokes any comment from Jesus until a poor widow who has queued up like the others, comes in and puts two very small copper coins with only a few pence, verse 42. I think she's queued because she knows her gift is worth bringing and because she knows that God will honour it. She is not ashamed of her gift. Jesus tells his disciples that her small gift is of greater worth than the, all the others. Why? simply because it's a gift that shows both honour and trust. It's given freely to honour the Lord, but it's also an expression of trust in the Lord, that he will provide, that he will keep his promises. Jesus says in verse 44, they all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, 
all she had to live on. Literally, we could translate that all of her living. She's placed her whole self, everything on which she was depending, into the Lord's hands. This is an incredibly generous free will offering. Now, sometimes we read this story wrongly. Sometimes people conclude that it shows that the Lord really likes small gifts. That's exactly the wrong message to take from this passage. The Lord honours her gift not because it's small, but because it's huge. Might not be much in terms of value, but as a proportion of all that she has, this gift is absolutely huge. It's an expression not just of honour, it's also an expression of trust. She has placed her whole self, placed all of her living in the Lord's hands. Rightly understood, it is both sacrificial and enormous. Simply put, the more we have, the more we have to give before it becomes truly sacrificial. Biblical giving is about honouring and trusting the Lord. Second main point, biblical giving is about sowing generously, about sowing generously. In biblical giving, how we give affects the harvest we receive. And verse 6 of our reading from 2 Corinthians 9 contrasts two ways of giving, sparingly and generously. Many years ago, I used to work at McDonald's. Big Macs are assembled sparingly. You have a sauce gun that fires the right amount of sauce at each bun each time you squeezed it. There was never any question of getting too much sauce on your Big Mac. It was impossible to put too much sauce on a Big Mac unless you fired the sauce gun twice at the same bun. We could assemble about 12 or 16 Big Macs every 90 seconds, I think it was. Waste was, and no, I've never had one. Waste was kept to an absolute minimum. Every part of the assembly was tightly controlled. That was working sparingly. Generosity didn't come into it at all. In contrast to the world of the Big Mac, Paul talks about sowing generously. The word translated generously is usually associated with speaking a blessing. Praising God. Literal translation would be sowing for blessings will also reap blessings. I think that's why it's translated generously. It is a trustful, a hopeful sowing, not a sparing one. It's, it's a sowing that expects God's favour, that expects that God will answer, that God will keep his promises. So we can imagine as we're giving that we are speaking blessing over the gifts that we sow, trusting that they will be multiplied. Now, if sparingly looks like a Big Mac with not a hint of sauce wasted, absolutely no chance of a second slice of cheese, generously looks like having enough custard to properly drown your sticky toffee pudding. Generously is having more raspberries than the recipe really calls for in your eaten mesh mess. Generously is filling your glass to the brim and then a little more. And if you think that's not biblical, Psalm 23 tells us that when the Lord serves us, he doesn't just anoint our heads with all, he also makes sure our cup 
overflows. When the Lord blesses us, there is no lack. Notice in 2 Corinthians, we don't necessarily reap the harvest here ourselves. Yes, a harvest is reaped. Yes, a generous harvest of blessings is reaped and to be expected. But aside from the promise in verse 8 that we will have all we need, many other people are blessed through our giving. The abundance doesn't all come to us. This is not a prosperity gospel where we name and claim what we want to receive. That's as much uh, in the thrall of money as anything else. Rather, our giving releases blessing, ensuring that we have all we need, no lack, but also that many others will benefit. Paul's telling us how we sow affects the harvest. When we sow with a closed hand, measuring every ingredient, the harvest will be sparing. When we sow with an open hand, when we sow with blessings in our hearts, then the harvest will be of the same kind. Then it becomes a kingdom harvest. What did Jesus used to say at the end of his parables? Then 30, 60, 100 times what was sown can be reaped. When the Lord blesses us, there is no lack. How we sow affects the harvest. Third main point. Biblical giving has impact. It has impact. It's hard not to think about giving in terms of what we're giving up, isn't it? Even if it's only the cost of a pint or a coffee, even if it's only one Domino's visit a month, even if it's only a single trip to the cinema, somehow that rankles. Somehow that loss seems bigger than it really is, like a, like a blister on a foot. That's a tactic of the enemy. Adam and Eve fell victim to temptation because they were focusing on what they couldn't have. The one limitation on God's extravagant, abundant provision is where they focused. So when it comes to giving, when we're struggling with what we're losing, we need to remember also what's being gained. We need to remember our giving's impact. It's impact even upon God. God, we're told in verse 7, loves a cheerful giver. So giving cheerfully blesses God's heart. It delights him. That word cheerful is the word from which we get hilarious. Maybe we should have hilarious giving in our church. But even more than this, in verse 11, Paul talks about how their giving will inspire people to give thanks to God. And in verse 13, about how their obedience will lead others to praise God. Our giving, in other words, even impacts God and moves him towards showing favour to us and to others. We need to remember our giving's impact on God's people, on others. Whether through tithes and offerings, supporting the house of God and its service, whether through giving to support the mother church in Judea, the offering that Paul's talking about here, our giving blesses God's people. Verse 12, this service that you perform is supplying the needs of the Lord's people. It's causing God to be thanked. Whether to our mission partners in Ukraine, whether to our mission partners running a hospital in northwest India, whether to our mission partners addressing climate change in Kenya, our giving here blesses God's people around the world. Whether through Basics Bank, 
whether through communicate or caraway, our giving here blesses people in our own city. And that's what we hope to do more of through Open House and our growing partnership with The Big Difference. This giving referred to in 2 Corinthians was to alleviate the distress caused by a famine, a famine predicted by a prophet called Agabus in Acts 11. Our giving here makes a real-world difference and has an impact on God's people. And we also need to remember our giving's impact on us, on us ourselves. Verse 7, favour comes from giving cheerfully. Verse 7 tells us, cheerful giving is loved by God so much, verse 8, that God responds in kind, blessing us abundantly, making sure that we will abound in every good work. That favour, verse 10 tells us, means that God will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Favour, abundance, increase are the impact on us that flows from cheerful, generous giving. When we give, sometimes we hesitate. We hesitate because we're thinking about what we will lose. A coffee or a pint, a takeaway or a cinema ticket, a night out or even a weekend away. But rather than thinking about what we will lose, our passage shows us the amazingly positive impact giving has. The impact on God himself who loves it when we give in this manner, responds in favour over and over again. The impact on God's people around the world where our giving helps to meet their needs and to further God's mission around the world, stirring others up to intercede. And the impact on ourselves, for through giving cheerfully, we cut the power of money over our hearts. And we will see God's favour at work in our lives, an abundance and increase all around us. We're reckoning up, some of us, the ledger the wrong way. Reckoned up like this, why would you not give? When we reckon up the impact of our giving on God, on God's people, and even on ourselves, why would we not give generously and cheerfully? Why would we not honour and thank God in tithes and offerings? Reckoned up like this, surely we can see it is a much greater loss to refuse to give and to give generously. Biblical giving, then, is about honour and trust. Honouring God in tithes, trusting God in free will offerings. Biblical giving is about sowing generously. And biblical giving has impact. Impact on God himself, impact on the world and even on ourselves. It's hard to talk about all of this uh, at all times, but especially right now. And yet the same pressures affecting all of us are also affecting us as a church. So what does this mean for us today? Challenges us first to remember that giving takes different forms. Takes different forms. There will be some here who cannot give financially. For example, if you have a non-believing spouse, I don't think you are free to give, except from income that's entirely your own, and even then with your spouse's knowledge. Please don't let giving to the church come between you and your spouse. If you're in debt or you're struggling with other financial commitments, maybe made before you came to Christ, you may well not be free to give financially at the moment. But even if you can't tithe, 
It's important to give even a small amount as an earnest that you want to get there. And we can all give in other ways through the giving of our gifts and our time. Regular volunteering might be a great way to give while you work your way out of difficult financial circumstances. Talk to someone about your circumstances and give of yourself, even if you can't give of your money right now. Challenge the second to bring both tithes and offerings. We honour God with our tithes and we thank God with our free will offerings. The way we think about it here, our regular giving is our tithes on which we base the church budget and our gift days are our free will offerings when we raise money for a specific project. I know that lots of us would rather give to specific projects just as many of us would much rather volunteer for a one-off than to be tied down to a regular commitment. Truth is, we can't run the church that way. That's like wanting to buy a birthday present but not commit to paying for the house. Without regular giving committed on a monthly budget a basis, we simply can't budget, just as many of our ministries can't function without regularly committed volunteers. Please hear me. We love free will offerings at a gift day. We treasure one-off volunteering. It's just really difficult to build much around them. So if you consider yourself a member of Highfield, please consider giving monthly on a regular basis. If you don't already do so, and volunteering on a regular basis. Challenge us thirdly to ask whether we ourselves are sowing generously. For some of us, the answer will undoubtedly be yes. And thank you for that. Sincerely, thank you for that. It sustains so much of the life of the church. For all that you give to God through Highfield, whether in giving of your time, your gifts, or your money, it sustains so much. Please remember that God loves the cheerful giver. I love a cheerful giver as well. And look to his favour at work in your life. But for others, this might be the first time you've heard any serious teaching on giving. And you might be finding it hard to take that God makes a claim even on your money. You might be slipping on the caps log on your phone right now and composing my next howler right now. Just remember, 973 Brookvale Road is the, uh, is the letterbox to put that howler through. You might be wondering how to respond. You might feel challenged that your giving is closer to sparing than generous, closer to a Big Mac than a pudding overwhelmed with custard. You might feel overwhelmed about how you get from where you are to where you want to be, what it means to trust God with your finances as did the widow Jesus praised. If that's you, come and talk to me or talk to one of the PCC who will be available after each service on both of the next two Sundays uh, in the refreshments area. They'll be able to talk you through how we spend the money that's given to God through Highfield. Aside from some grant income which is declining, every pound spent locally is raised locally. If you're feeling challenged, then do something about it. Pray and think it over. Talk to me or to a PCC member. Talk about it in your small group and then act. Even if it's simply just to map out the journey of how you'll get from where you are now to where you want to be. 
A pledge form will be available over the next two Sundays. Pledge form about giving and serving. If you consider yourself a member of Highfield, please fill it in. It will help us enormously to plan. Don't do nothing. Even if you need to write me a letter, don't do nothing. Jesus told us that we cannot serve both God and money. He told us, in other words, to pick a side. So pick a side. Honour and trust God with your money. Make sure your living sacrifice is holy and pleasing to God, even in this most tricky of areas. Amen.